0: Well, we've been talking over the last few weeks about putting into practice things that we know we should be doing. And uh, last week, I just want to give kind of an update on last week. Last week, we had uh, right at a hundred names given by you and the second service of people that you're praying about the opportunity to share your faith with. Now... Part of what I want to do this morning is just to give glory and praise to God that that many people's names are on your minds and in your hearts. Part of what I want to do is to remind you that those names should be on your hearts. And I ask you just simply, what steps did you take in the week that just passed to do something about sharing your faith? I did hear some stories. I got a couple of emails and exciting news about opportunities that presented themselves conveniently this week when you began to think about it, about opportunities to share what Jesus has done in your life and what you hope that they would be able to do in your neighbor or friend or family member's life. And the point of all of that is to say this, is to make sure that we remember that our faith is only as good as what we're putting into practice from what we know we should be doing. And we've talked over these few weeks about specific things the Bible teaches us that we know, but we may not be doing. we talked about forgiving people and living generously and last week sharing our faith. And the verse that we've kind of used as we've talked through this comes out of the book of James and it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says do not merely listen to the word don't don't just think by coming here and listening to a message that you get brownie points in heaven that you get extra credit for sitting through a service don't think that just because you're in a sunday school class or you've read your bible or you've listened to sermons or you've sang the songs that somehow you get extra points that the goal of the christian faith is not just to accumulate knowledge The goal is to put it into practice. And so we are talking continually during this series about the fact that there are things in our lives we should be doing. Now, today, we're going to continue with another one of those topics that if you ask people, should you be doing this? Absolutely, yes, yes, that's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But if you read all the statistics, it's getting done very infrequently by believers. simple word it's four letters and it's the word pray we know the bible tells us to pray right i mean we sing songs about prayer we talk about prayer Many of you are going into a Sunday school class, and in that Sunday school class, you will have a moment where you share requests of prayer. We have a prayer service at 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons where we do prayer requests, and we pray, and we do Bible study. We just prayed for our New York City mission team. But if you look at everything that's kind of out there, it tells us over and over again that people aren't praying. I hear a lot of conversation about what's happening in churches in America today. And just to be real honest with you, nationwide churches in America aren't doing great. And over and over, as I read the, the stories of movements of God and of churches that are serving the Lord and doing amazing things, the thing that comes back over and over is that movements of God are always started by people of prayer. And what I don't intend today is for this to be one of those times when I just say, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray, and I make you feel really guilty about not praying. What I want today is for us to look at why we don't pray. And then see what the biblical solution to that is. We're not going to cover prayer extensively today. That's kind of impossible. And in fact, I I have felt it... um, for some reason from the Lord for a while that this fall we're going to take some time and talk specifically about prayer for several weeks. Today I just want to ask the question well, why don't we pray? If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is one of the most famous passages of Scripture on prayer but we're not going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk a little bit about what's before that and kind of a parallel passage it's not necessarily the same time or the same area but in a parallel passage in the book of luke we have this discussion prompted by the disciples coming to jesus and saying it tells us in luke chapter 11 that jesus had spent some time off praying and when he gets done praying he comes back and the disciples say man can you teach us how to pray And jesus we want to know how to pray it's one of those moments when they realize that Jesus has been in the throne room of God and they want to know how to do that. It's almost like I heard a story by Bill Hybels, who's a pastor up in Chicago. And, and Bill Hybels told the story about taking some guys on a sailing trip once. And they'd been out sailing for several days and they came into port. And, and while they came into port, they, they sat around and they started talking. And, and while they were talking, they noticed this young couple at the table next to them. And what they noticed is that the young couple were holding hands and talking to each other, looking directly into one another's eyes, as if they were the only two people in the restaurant. He said, and at first they made some snide comments, like, well, look at them over there. Wonder what's going on. What's happening there? He said, but then suddenly, one by one, he noticed the guys got up and walked away from the table for a minute and soon discovered that every one of them eventually walked away from the table to call their wife. Just in that example of that moment, seeing that relationship, thought, I need to reconnect. And what we have here with Jesus is it's almost like the disciples see Him connect with God in a way they've never seen. The reality is because He had a connection with God that had never existed. And as He comes back, they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And in the Matthew account of that, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Here's what I want to do today. I want to take, and looking at this passage and some others through Scripture, and ask the question, what are three big reasons we don't pray? And then I want to talk through some maybe solutions for that. And the first reason I think that we don't pray, and probably the biggest reason that you and I don't pray, is simply life settles down now here's what i mean by that when the storms of our lives are raging most of us pray when we're in a hospital room and the machines are going and life and death is in the balance we pray when the boss comes in and says by the way we've discovered that budget isn't what it needs to be we're not making revenue like we thought and there are going to be some cuts in the near future, we pray. When the doctor walks in and says, the news doesn't look good or I've got a bad report, we pray. When one of our children finds themselves in a very difficult or dangerous situation, we pray. When life seems to be falling all around us, we pray. I would dare say that there have been moments in all of our lives in this room when difficulty struck and we immediately went to the Lord in prayer. I'm not here today to say, that's bad, you don't need to run to the That's exactly what we ought to do. But what happens in our lives is those moments of fervent, repeated, hopeful, desperate prayer, the situations eventually settle down the life and the death and the balance decides one way or the other either you're let go from the job or the people around you are and your job is stabilized the news from the doctor suddenly finds there's a treatment that's real easy or you begin down a path of physical difficulty the child returns safely and securely the life begins to settle and when life settles down so does our prayer life anybody know what happened 10 years ago this September 9-11 right do you remember where you were on 9-11 I do I was in Ripley Tennessee I was driving from my driveway to the church when I heard about the first plane hitting I was sitting in a barber's chair when the second plane hit. I was the new preacher in town. I was the new preacher, period. I'd been pastoring for three weeks total when 9-11 hit. And because I was the new kid in town, there were three services that week, community-wide, I was invited to come to and to speak at. Either give some kind of prayer or even we had a community service led by the mayor and alderman on Friday night in the park and I was asked to preach an evangelistic message by the mayor of the town do you remember what congress did you remember that image of them on the steps of the capitol building what were they singing god bless america right you remember memorial services and i remember i Like I said, it was my fourth Sunday ever to preach as a pastor. And we couldn't fit them in the building. We're actually in discussions because um, on the night of September 11th of this year, it's a Sunday night, we're going to have a community memorial service and worship time. And I wasn't aware of this, but many of you probably were here, that on the night of September 11th there was a service here community-wide in times of difficulty people turned to prayer but you know what happened life settled in i, I was uh, um i remember specifically the next national day of prayer i was asked to fill in because their guest could not come their guest was Adrian Rogers. Anybody know Adrian Rogers, pastor of Bellevue? I, you know, you love... I remember getting that call. Like I said, I was 25 years old, and I got a call. Adrian Rogers can't make it. Can you come? And it helps that it was my hometown of Dyersburg. So that's why they called. I wasn't like some, you know, one Bellevue calling. And I remember I, I was... My parents had this scrapbook of me and my brother. And they had the news articles from the State Gazette. And even in May of the next year, I was talking about how the country had settled back in to normalcy. And that prayer wasn't part of that. Now, that's on a national level. But don't you find it true in your own life that when life settles in, prayer seems to go away? So what's the solution to that? Well, part of the solution is found right here. It's establishing a pattern. It's establishing a place. It's establishing some kind of some ability to be free. I mean, Jesus tells them, first of all, he just assumes they're going to pray. He says, when you pray. And it's not just once he says when you pray. It's several times. When you pray in verse 5. and verse 7, uh, when you pray. Verse 6, but when you pray. Each time he's saying that prayer ought to be a regular part of your life. You need to establish a time when you pray. Some of you are morning people, and God bless you. Some of us are night owls, and that's exactly how God intended it, I think. Some of you like to get up at, when that first sunlight hits, that's when you get up, and you wake up singing and dancing. Well, maybe not dancing, but you wake up singing, ready for your cup of coffee or Get the eggs on the stove. And some of you, it takes a forklift to get you out of bed, all right? Some of that's how God made us. And if you're one of those people that doesn't get up bright and early in the morning, don't think that you are less spiritual if your prayer time isn't at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's okay to pray later. It's okay to set aside a time at night. In my house... God has this sense of humor because Susan and I neither one are what you would call early morning people we just, that's not how God wired us and yet all three of our children are during the school year if Eli sleeps past 6.15 on Saturday it's a miracle I, that's, if I, if I sleep until 6.45 on Saturday I stand up and start singing the doxology alright That's just how it is. In my house, the only quiet time that's really in my house starts about 8.30 at night when the kids all start their bedtime routines. Now, some nights Luke's up three times before he finally goes to bed. But about 8.30 to 9, my house settles down. And I'm really kind of a night out. And so in my house, Susan goes to bed about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And so from 10 to 11 sometimes is when I get a lot of studying and reading and can spend some good time with the Lord in prayer. The key isn't when it is. It's just that you have that. You, you pick out a time. You, you find a place. It doesn't have to be the same place, but you, you find a, a place. A good place to pray is not sitting in front of the TV with SportsCenter on. Or a daytime talk show on. It's not in the middle of a busy restaurant. You find a place where you can kind of be alone. The point Jesus is making is not to have a prayer closet in your house. The point Jesus is making is find a place where you can get alone with the Lord. We, we see instance after instance when Jesus, after a busy day, He has this pattern. He, he, he gives all He can physically. He ministers for hours and hours on end. And then He pulls away gets by himself he rests and he spends time with the lord you need to have a place where you can do it but here's the key don't become so routine in your prayer that it becomes redundant Jesus says, don't be like those that just keep babbling the same thing over and over. I've said before, and it's, it's so interesting to me, that, that right before the most babbled prayer in history, and I don't mean that the prayer is bad, I just mean before the prayer that people utter more than any other prayer without thinking about what they're praying, Jesus says, don't do that. Come before me, share your heart, tell me what's there. Give me everything you've got have a conversation with him in a few weeks we're going to spend some time talking about what kind of conversation are you talking about but you just talk here's what I thought about Susan and I've been married in a couple of weeks it'll be 13 years we've been married and we have never had the same conversation twice now, I didn't say we hadn't talked about the same things. There are some things she's still working on me. She's been working on me for 13 years, all right? But the conversation has never been exactly the same, right? You, you spouses, some of you, how many of you have uh, as spouses have been married longer than 13 years? Let me see your hands, all right? Would you say that you've had different conversations all the time? Anybody had the exact same conversation? No, you don't not really a conversation if you already know what's coming, all right? Don't expect to have the exact same conversation with God every time. That'll be fresh and new. So when life settles down, you can go to that when and that where and that pattern that you have established. Here's the second reason people often don't pray. It's because sin creates a gap in our lives. Sin creates separation. Now, it's kind of hard to find that in this passage, but if you look in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, the idea there is a couple of things. One is that they're standing up and they're doing it for everybody to see. But you also get this sense in the language. The word hypocrite there was used of actors who put on different masks. And the idea is that there was really something inside of them that was wrong internally. That something in their spirit was wrong. And yet they were acting as if everything was absolutely okay. Uh, I was reading a book recently by John Ortberg called The Me I Want to Be. And he was talking about the fact that we all have this um, sense that we want people to think we're better than we are. And he tells the story of finding some letters that he wrote back and forth to a friend of his about ten years ago. And as he was reading the letter, he thought, man, I sure do sound spiritual there. And I know what I was doing. And I was not that spiritual. He said, it it overwhelmed me with the sense that I was trying to be somebody that I'm not. And then he said this. The tragic thing is that many of us try to do that even with God. I remember growing up Southside Baptist Church. There was a, uh, a guy at Southside Baptist Church that was a deacon, and his, his, uh, his nickname was Goldie. And I never knew why. I just knew that was his nickname. Goldie worked on a farm all his life milk cows plowed and when you talked to him there was no doubt that he was from south of the mason dixon line his accent was as thick as any southern accent that i've ever heard and what i remember about him is he would get up on sunday morning at south Side. i was a four and five year old and i still remember this and his voice would suddenly change and he no longer had a southern accent and he started to talk with these and thou's and wanteth and needeth. Anybody ever heard anybody like that? You Don't point, all right? You heard somebody? Where their language changes when they start talking to God or they're praying in public? God doesn't want that. He just wants you. And one of the areas we try to snow God sometimes, we try to fool God, is when we've got sin going on in our lives good old-fashioned sin is strong enough to create a gap between us and God, and the wider the gap, the less likely we are to pray. In fact, this is what I've experienced in my own life. When, when I have sin that's kind of inherent, that's happening with things that I know that I've done wrong, that when I'm praying with God, I'll try to avoid that moment of really getting close to that. It's like I know there's a wreck on the freeway of my life and I'm finding alternative routes to talk to God where I don't have to go close. And yet we think God may be fooled by that. In Malachi chapter 1, 9, God kind of looks at the people and says, listen, I wish you'd shut the door to your temple. He says, because you come to me and you've got sin rampant in your life and yet you expect me to hear you from heaven. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 it says do not be fooled god cannot be mocked there is no deep ongoing fellowship with god without complete and total obedience and so when we have sin in our lives it creates this internal conflict we know we should want to be with God, praying with God, thinking about God. But when we enter into his presence, we know that that stuff's going to get brought back to the surface. So what's the solution? Well, it's pretty simple, and we're going to talk about it in depth in a couple of weeks. You confess what you've done, and you accept the forgiveness of the Lord. Isaiah 1:18 says, though your sins be like scarlet, they are now, or can be white as snow. So the second reason people don't pray is because sin creates a separation. Here's the third reason, and it's this. God disappoints us. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But some of us are are people that, that were prayer warriors or really prayed or in those storms of life. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And instead of that person getting better, they got worse. We prayed for someone to survive a surgery and they didn't. We prayed for a marriage to be reconciled and it wasn't we prayed for our job to be safe and we got the pink slip we prayed that our neighbor would be saved and instead they rejected it and turned us away and as we pray about those things and they don't happen and we listen to sermons and we listen to tv and we read the scripture and we see all these great prayers being answered and we hear that if you just pray god will take care of it and before long we say well why in the world am i bothering because it's not happening for me and we get discouraged and disillusioned, the despair begins to roll in. Well, God, you should have. Or, God, why didn't you? And we begin to wonder, well, why even waste our breath? I don't see anything happening. Lest we think this is a new problem, Jesus encountered that with his disciples. and In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Jesus told them a parable, and then it gives the exact reason why. So that they would keep on praying and not give up. Here's the solution. This isn't a real complicated solution to the issue of being discouraged with God. You just keep on praying. Don't lose heart. And part of the reason is to understand what the purpose of prayer is. Prayer is not just about us laying our request before the Lord, although that's a part of it. Prayer is really about a conversation and a relationship with the Lord. And we have to understand that God values the time we spend in conversation Susan's been home for a couple of weeks now but Susan was in Brazil for a little while and one of the highlights of our day was when we got to talk to Susan on the computer we would wait we we I knew their work schedule there were several times during the day that I would look at the phone or look at my clock or look at the wall where the clock was or look on my computer where the I have a clock. And I would say, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how long it is before she'll call. And we used a program called Skype. And Skype has this distinctive ringtone. It, it's different than what you uh, anything else you've heard. It's, it's, it's just theirs. And when I would be sitting around and the computer would be up, and you would hear that ringtone start, my heart would just kind of skip a beat for a moment. It's that time. I would run to the computer, I would click on it, and even though the connection wasn't always great, we had five or ten minutes to just have a conversation about what was happening in her world, what was happening in mine, things that were going on. The kids would come in, Maddie would blow kisses, Eli liked to hug the computer screen, that's what he did. And so we had those moments. And as I was researching this this week, I couldn't help but get this sense that that God has that same longing for those moments with us. And we sometimes see prayer as a chore or something we have to do. Well, I didn't pray prayed today. It's 10.30 at night. I guess I better do it. Or if I don't pray this morning, my day's going to be terrible. I better get up and say my prayers. When it really is an opportunity for us to step into the presence of God. And he longs for that moment. What do you do when you get disappointed with the answers that you think you're getting from the Lord? You just keep on praying. On, a, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about just kind of controversial topics and issues and things that are in the news and what the Bible says about them. And, um, I told the story a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about near-death experiences. And I told a story about a guy named Leon Holt who uh, who I went to visit before he went into surgery in my first couple of years pastoring, and he told me he was fine, he was ready for whatever. And in the, on the operating table, he died. He flatlined for a few moments. Came back, told me after he came back, called, wanted to talk with me. He had accepted the Lord, that in the midst of that moment on the operating table, He had felt this overwhelming darkness and being pulled away from everything he knew. He gave his life to the Lord. We baptized Leon on uh, the second Easter that I ever preached. It was my second Easter to preach. And I baptized Leon. And in the congregation that day was Leon's mom. Now, Leon was in his 60s. So his mom was in her 80s. And after it was over... I. Walked up to her and said, You know, just, Miss Holt, it's good to meet you. And she looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I prayed for that boy for over 60 years. And she said, You don't know how many times I almost gave up. But man, am I glad I didn't. And you get discouraged. Remember that the Lord isn't necessarily finished yet. I don't know where you are in your life. The truth is, wherever you are, one of these three things could apply to you right now as to why you're not going to the Lord in prayer on a regular basis. Perhaps your life's just settled. Nothing really bad's going on, nothing really good is happening. It's just kind of normal. You're just in life. You're just getting up in the morning, you're going through your day, you're going to your appointments, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're eating. You're talking to people. you come to church on Sundays. Just normal. Maybe even now as you kind of sit here, you look back and you thought, well, but three months ago, man, life was all over the place. And man, when life was all over the place, I was praying. And now I'm just kind of not. Maybe today what you need to do, your application on this prayer is to just begin to set a routine that's not routine. Set a time and a place, but allow for, real conversation with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're somebody that that you really kind of walked away from the Lord. And you've got stuff in your life, maybe nobody in this room knows about, but you've got junk in your life and you need to let go of that. Maybe it's a bad attitude. Maybe it's a grudge. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's something you've done. Maybe it's secret lifestyle. Maybe it's a relationship that you've pushed away and what you need to do today is you need to confess that and get that out and let the Lord forgive you and then begin to move on in your relationship with the Lord I mean for you maybe it's even difficult to come on Sunday mornings and you come because you're supposed to or because your spouse says you should or you come occasionally because you just it kind of eases your conscience for a little bit but you need to get real with the Lord today or maybe you're here and you're going through junk, or you just finished that. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and nothing happened. Nothing. Your child went farther away from the Lord or farther away from you. The debt spiraled downward. The pink slip ended up in your box. The foreclosure began to move forward this morning, what you need to do is you just need to pray that the Lord will give you strength to keep on. Here's what I know. Of all the things that we've talked about doing, none of them, none of these apps will happen in your life without a meaningful prayer relationship with the Lord. And so this morning, my question is, how are you going to apply that in your life?